Today's scripture reading comes from John 17, 14 through 19. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. As you send me into the world, I have, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may truly be sanctified. The word of the Lord. Well, thank you. Let's pray together. Our loving and gracious God, we do give thanks for your amazing love, your knowledge of each of us. You know our stories. You know what we've been carrying and what we've been feeling and what we've been knowing. And we pray that you would help us to receive what you have for us on this day and in this time. Bless us, we pray, once again. In Jesus' name, amen. When uh, my family first moved to Point Loma, we had fairly early on in our time here, we went to Ocean Beach and we're walking down Newport Ave. And we just pretty quickly began to realize something didn't belong and it was probably us. <laughs> We had moved from the Northeast, and so, um, you know, long sleeve plaid shirts, button-down shirt, you know, kind of collars. I was, like, dressed up a little more than what OB people dress up as. And as we're, as we're kind of walking along, you just have this kind of this sense that somehow it felt like we got beamed into a completely different world, and we were trying to figure out how we survive in this place. In some ways, as followers of Christ, we too are peculiar people. We are shaped by God's word when other people don't even know what we're talking about when we say God's word. We're shaped by the teachings and the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're shaped by the work of the Holy Spirit. And while I certainly believe that God is at work in the world in amazing ways, I also know that if we live all in for Christ, there will be times when it is clear as we walk about, when we feel a little bit like we got beamed in from somewhere, that we don't belong, that this is, that, and, and that others are recognizing there's something kind of peculiar about us. And the reality is that sometimes that comes with people who just accept it like as you do you. Like another OB story is uh, the church that I attend is in Ocean Beach and we were doing a Palm Sunday uh, journey. Have you ever done one of those where you march around the community and kind of reenact the, the entry into Jerusalem? And we were, we were doing this march, which in Ocean Beach felt much more comfortable than a lot of neighborhoods I've been in. Like, they're just used to anything odd happening. And so we were just, like, marching around, following this person holding a cross, singing songs about Christ's uh, death and promise for us and sacrifice for us. And as we were going by this one um, group of people that were sitting together in, front, in their front lawn, they all just raised their wine glasses to us as we went by, like, <laughs> a little bit of cheer for us as we were going. That's kind of a you do you. There's also can be mocking. 
that happens. That might have had some edge of mocking to it. I don't know. I won't go deep into that. But also, um, there can be hate. And that's referred to in this passage that Hannah read for us. There can be these reactions to us as a people because we're marching and walking by a different rhythm. And the promise of today's passage is that we are not sent out into this world alone. We're sent out, but we're not sent out alone. And we're promised that God dwells in us, and we're invited to dwell in God, and that this language of being sanctified, I am sanctified and being sanctified, there's this ongoing, continuous kind of work that is in that word. That word itself, hagiazo, is the same word in the Lord's Prayer that is traditionally rendered as hallowed. So there's this call within here to live a hallowed life, a life that's set apart, that's different, that's walking in some ways that cause others to go, there's something odd about you. Several years ago, I gathered the children of the church that I was pastoring to the front, and it was right before Halloween, and so I asked them, do you know what Halloween means? And my nephew yelled out, Satan's holiday. And I'm like, oh gosh, that, not what I was looking for. <laughs> so, so then I said, I said, well, actually, it means Holy Eve. And another child really spoke very loudly and said, she's lying. <laughs> I'm like, well, good. The integrity of the pastor is strong here. And I tried to like regather them and say, yeah, it's this mark of a night before All Saints Day. It, the 31st is supposed to be this entry into this day that the church pauses and remembers people who have lived hallowed lives, holy lives. People who haven't, doesn't mean they've done it perfectly, but they've lived beautifully and sacrificially and consistently and lovingly and powerfully. And so in all that you do next week, here's, here's one of my challenges, is on November 1st, maybe remember somebody who's lived the life of Christ in front of you and before you, or you've, that, and, and that you want to pause and give thanks to God for, and maybe even write them a note and say, thank you. Thank you for living a life before me that makes me know that Christ is alive and real and truly at work in this world. Also, here's my other challenge as I was getting ready for this. I just remembered this great movie It's from 1986 called The Mission. If you haven't seen it, that might be a good thing to do on November 1st and hear about a life that is lived for God in beautiful ways. But here's maybe the good news for us to think about entering into this life of hallowedness is that it's not equal to perfect life. When we begin to dig into the details of lives of the saints that we've heard about uh, from years before, we discover that they are real people who make real mistakes, who are real humans. There was quite a reaction a few years ago when Mother Teresa's journals were published and there was this discovery that she had these deep doubts, deep questions, deep times of asking, where are you, God? And are you there, God? And here is the reality is those of us who have been following Christ 
weren't surprised that those were questions in her life, especially by one who lived so close to suffering like she did. Day after day, you would have to ask that if you carried people in any real way of love, right? And here's the other thing we know, is that she lived a hallowed life, a hallowed life with all of those doubts and questions. To be holy is not to be in some sort of static place like you've achieved this and now I'm here on this platform. It is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in your life as you invite God to do and to work and to remove and to renew the life that you live. This mutual indwelling that we get within this John 17 passage of Christ dwelling in us and us dwelling in God's life. Verse 18 says, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So this this work of the Holy Spirit, this renewing, this hallowed life isn't just like so that I shine better or you shine better. It is actually that we would be a transformed life that then moves us into the world. So it's not, and and the language of holy, this sanctus language, this sanctify language, does have this kind of set-apart language. But it's not like the set-apart like you were set-apart right before a family Your family took a picture. Do you remember those times when you're like, put apart, don't get into the mud, don't get dirty. Here's my family last October, all clean and pretty. But that's not the kind of set apart that we're talking about. I wish I had a picture of us all mess because that's the kind of set apart that we're talking about. Set apart for a purpose. Set apart to be filled with God. Then you might be people who bring the good news of God into the world. My favorite definition of spiritual formation is by an author named Robert Mulholland, in which he says, spiritual formation is a process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. And I I think sometimes we really miss that ending when we talk about spiritual formation where we're hungry and we're desiring and we want to know God at work in our lives. Uh, but it, it, in some ways, it's almost like we want more of a good thing, like we would like more of a lot of things. But ultimately, within scriptures, faithful to scriptures, is this understanding of this fullness of God's life in us for the sake of the world, that it might move through us through our particular personalities and our particular gifts and graces and ways of being. In many ways, we become like a moving sanctuary, a moving dwelling place of God in which as people bump up against us and discover Christ within us, they might be surprised that God is, yes, here, even here, wherever you may go. The word sanctuary itself comes from this holy language. This, uh, it comes really from the Latin sanctarium, a derivative of sanctus or holy. The word sanctuary refers to a holy place, but because churches were once places of legal asylum, the term has also come to mean a place of shelter, a haven, or a refuge. And I, and I like that imagery that we might be a people who carry 
a place of refuge for others, a haven, that, that we would be people trustworthy, that we would be people that they know love and love deeply and love well, that's a trustworthy person, a place in which somebody else can find shelter. One of my first jobs out of college was working at a, um, a day shelter for homeless women in New York City. And there was a woman, probably in her late 20s, that was one who came to that shelter every day. And every time she came, she came and introduced herself with a different name. It would be names like Missa or Blanca, which is, took me a while, I, I'm not quickest sometimes, that to realize what was common in these names is there was this kind of um, non-identity that she was offering, because I actually had her file and knew her real name, which she never wanted it to be referred to. I don't know all the horrors of her life. I know there were many for her that she experienced, um, both growing up and then living on the streets in Manhattan. She would come with, and she, uh, with like uh, little um, barrettes of different colors in her hair, and she would try and and get me to wear these little purple butterfly barrettes. She would talk in a little girl voice. She was a large woman. And often when it became quiet, she had times of noise, but when she was quiet, she would sit across from me and she would literally say to me, I need sanctuary. I need sanctuary. And I would just carry that because I so wanted to give her sanctuary. And we were working on that and had found a place for her to stay, but it wasn't still this place of refuge and haven and shelter, that sanctuary that she was really hoping and praying for. And one of the things that I found as I did that work and was engaged in the work not only with this one woman but with many is that if I was going to be at about the work of being one who both literally was working to try and find sanctuary and haven, but also provide that as the way in which I was, I needed to experience that in my own life. I needed to know and experience haven and shelter in God. A hallowed life enables us to be a shelter a haven or a refuge for others. But it's only possible, especially for the long haul. We can do some things pretty well for a while until we burn out. If we experience a fullness of life with God, where God is our shelter and our haven and our refuge. Jesus knew this. You see this movement in his life throughout the Gospels. One of the great ones that I think just is almost, I almost can feel the disciples startle when he does this, is right after the feeding of the thousands in Matthew, he said that we have these words from Matthew 6. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. There's like this excitement about what had happened. And then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. And he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I think that's amazing. I think that's really amazing that in all this miracles that are happening and this energy and this movement, sometimes even within the church, we just say more and more and more. 
And instead, what Jesus says in the middle of this miracle, really, come away with me. Come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so this this hallowed life, this life of God, looks like engagement, right? It looks like tutoring. I think we're going to, there we go, some tutoring. And it looks like elderly outreach. And it looks like beloved ministry. And it looks like acts of mercy. And it looks like you loving and caring for people that you carry in your own lives. It may be a whole bunch of uh, a breadth of people that are part of the people God has put in your life. It looks like that. But it also, it also has to look like a hammock. It has to have these places where you stop. Where you stop and make yourself open to what God has for you. That you rest in God as your shelter and haven and refuge. There are times when we are called to retreat from our good and even holy engagements that we might be saved that we might be renewed, that we might be emboldened. That can happen in the practice of Sabbath, and I know everybody feels like there's no way I can put aside a day during the week, but the testimony of the people of God is that when they practice that, they're able to engage in whatever the callings of their life, work, study, whatever, in a more full way. Or retreats where you carve out some time to invest in this friendship with God, this life with God, this beauty of God's gifts for you. It actually helps us to remember that this work of God, the kingdom come of God that we pray about and sing about isn't ours to do. We get to cooperate With it, we get to be part of it, but it's God's work to bring God's kingdom. It actually reestablishes that God is God and we're not God. It actually means that I have to remember that God loves the people that I'm encountering, that I care about in ways that are deeper and broader than I can. It also means at times I have to trust those people to others so that I can get some rest and be still. Many of us can be what's been called functional atheists in that we talk about God and give thanks to God and pray to God, but we actually think it's all up to us and we start getting into that kind of frantic energy. And sometimes when we talk about sanctifying grace, we really talk a lot about what we're supposed to do, which is give our lives, surrender our lives, commit our lives. And I say yes to all of those, but sometimes we forget that in offering our lives to God, it is then time to receive what God has for us. That all of that is just making ourselves available to the sanctifying work of God. Hear what St. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. May the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who called you is faithful, And God will do it. So I invite you to some hammock time. And I know that all of you are like, I don't have any time for that. But here here again is this testimony that 
the times when we feel like we have the least amount of time to give to God is when it is like life-saving for us to create that space. One way is to really think about how do I do, and I know this is going to sound shocking, a 24-hour retreat. But think about it. That really basically means starting at like 7 o'clock on one night and ending at 7 the next. So some of your retreat is sleeping. It's not that hard. You really can do it. And as you create that space, because it moves from kind of those quick prayers that are important and part of living life with God into the prayers where you listen, and you listen deeply and you listen well, it begins to be those places where you begin to allow the prayer of God's kingdom work in you. You remember, hallowed be God's name, who God is. You remember this call to receive daily bread, to to receive the rest and the sustenance that God has for you, to maybe be challenged in the places in which you're called to experience forgiveness, both receiving it, asking for it, giving it. Where does that happen in your life if you don't create space in which God can speak to you about that? It's the places where you're reminded again of God's transcendence and God's imminence. That God is above all and in all and through all. It is in those spaces where you begin to know the the life of God in its fullness and then send you out to live boldly. When Janet Munn was here, she had talked Uh, with me, it wasn't in one of our services, about how she had some friends who were going to places that um, were announcing spiritual readings. Have you ever been at those places uh, where somebody's going to tell you about your future? And especially some friends would go to the city of Salem in Massachusetts, which has become like this crazy center of Halloween. And Honestly, I've been there, and when I was younger, it wasn't like this, but now it really does have, especially in that season, some sense of darkness. And in the midst of all those signs of spiritual readings, this group will set up a booth that says spiritual readings, but they come with their faith in Christ. And when somebody comes in seeking to hear from God, They're not tricking them. They speak into their lives the good news of God's love, of grace, of a God who knows them, a God who has their future, and a God who blesses them. And she says, but the only way that they engage in that kind of bold work, and I think that is bold work, is that they are a people who spend time in retreat, who spend time with God, that they might actually not be doing this as some sort of... um, anti-other people, but doing it as a service of love in the name of Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference there? They're not walking among those other tents, calling out the falseness of the others, but they're being the trueness of who they are in Christ because they carry with them a refuge, a shelter, a haven offered to others. I think there's something powerful God can do in us and through us, but it has to be both that engagement and that retreat, that rhythm of retreat and engagement. 
so that we might truly be people who carry the very presence of Christ, who know the beauty of Christ's love and grace at work in us, that it might be at work in the lives of others. So as a hopefully helpful tool for those who might be interested, there is at the top up here um, a guide for doing a 24-hour retreat. I'll also be able to send you a link by email so that you can get it online. It is something that you could do alone or you can do with a group of friends. And it has some directions in it so that you can do it either way. I, I would challenge you to see what God might want to do in your life in new ways by setting apart that kind of time. And then, and then in the name of Jesus Christ, you can re-engage into the work and the callings and the studies and the people that God's called you to love and carry anew. Hear this invitation from Jesus who says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Sophia is going to come, but let me pray over you. Loving and gracious God, in response to your invitation to come apart to be with you, we say or try to say, here I am. So here we are, these people who even in this 45 minutes, at some level, have been called to come apart. Help each of us to hear once again that we are beloved daughters and sons of God. I pray for those who need just even a few more times of rest, even in this hour, that they would hear the invitation to linger, to come and pray with those who want to pray with them at the altar, to be still, to pray and be silent and see what you might want to speak into their lives. I pray for your sustaining, affirming, and transforming grace to be at work in and through our lives. And when we get distracted by even the good we do, help us to breathe in your grace and turn back towards you with our whole being. And so into your hands, we commit our lives. Into your hands, we commit this gathered people. Into your hands, we pray that your will would be done in and through us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.